Good evening and welcome to this week's episode of Pop Culture Double Date. This week we are talking about Game of Thrones Season 8 Episode 5. I don't know the name of this episode. but It's it called be, The Bells. The Bells? It should be the called bells. The Massacre. <laughs> this week <laughs> was a massacre. Well, spoilers. Sorry. Spoilers. Spoilers. Oh. Full spoilers. It should actually be called The Big Barbecue. <laughs> um, yeah. So this was a pretty big episode when it comes to Game of Thrones. This is a huge episode when it comes to Game of Thrones. Lots of momentous things happening. We're going to deviate from our usual um, practice with Game of Thrones of going through the episode piece by piece, and instead we are going to talk about our impressions of whether we like the episode first, and then we're going to talk about the various character arcs this episode um, after that. So I'm going to start. I absolutely was on the edge of my seat for the entirety of this episode. I thought this was such a great episode. I felt episode three of this season, the Battle of Winterfell, I, in hindsight, I felt like it was a bit of a letdown, and I felt like Thrones in the last two episodes has basically been steadily climbing to kind of what, the quality of what we're used to, right? Um, My sense is that the showrunners basically said, we don't really know how to resolve the Night King plot, but we do know how to resolve the Cersei plot, so we're just going to focus on that. So... Here we are, like, at King's Landing, um, and basically King's Landing surrenders, and what follows is an absolute massacre in King's Landing, when Danny lets vengeance get the better of her. Um, We also get Clegane Bowl this month, uh, this this week as well, the final, (laughs) the big Clegane Bowl moment. Um, I thought this was such a great episode. I was, I was gripped by it, um. Yeah, I don't know what you guys thought, but I loved it. Thoughts? Let's go around the table. Yeah, I I looked throughout the episode. I kept saying to Gerald, I think they're going to stick the landing. This is really, really good. Um, and I want to say wholeheartedly that I love this episode. And the reason I want to say that is because, like you said, Darren, it was so exciting. You were on the edge of your seat. And I did feel that way um, with the Night King battle as well. And I felt that way last episode. And I feel that way most of the time during Game of Thrones, which is what I love about it. Um, and I also want to say that it was a wholeheartedly amazing episode because they really made you feel the weight and the gravity of what Daenerys has done. You know, by focusing in on individual peasants and people and mothers and children and soldiers, like, they really made you feel it and live that uh, massive tragedy, which I think is, is, was, I don't know, they told that story really well. My only hesitation is... Um, I'm becoming increasingly uncomfortable about Daenerys's uh, turn into full mad queen. I have no idea what triggered it this episode because it seemed that she had accepted that if the people surrender, she's not going to burn them all because there's literally no reason why you would burn innocent children and people. Um, and also, I feel a bit uncomfortable with, look, I was hanging on to my sanity by a thread, and then my boyfriend didn't love me anymore, and so now I've gone full batshit crazy. So I'm not that comfortable with that. Um, 
I feel like that this story is written by men. <laughs> they don't really write women that well. Um, but putting that aside, um, I really loved how they, they really made us feel the tragedy of what's happened this episode, and it was very exciting. Um, and some of the character arcs, which we'll talk about, I'm sure, were really satisfying and very moving. Um, yeah. Maggie? Yeah, uh, I hands down loved this episode it was by far my favorite this season um and it felt like a completely different show compared to the previous four episodes um for me it was intense it was very emotional it was action-packed and there were um certain scenes and shots um stylistically which were incredibly striking um and it reminded me a little bit of the battle of the bastards in terms of the way in which they captured the chaos the violence and that sort of suffocation kind of feeling um, of mm. the um, inhabitants of the city and of the Red Keep as Daenerys was going through that kind of violent parade. Um, I thought that they uh, they did an excellent job in kind of showing that bloody conclusion to, um, to I guess, her takedown of the Red Keep and of Cersei. Uh, Gerald? Yeah, I thought this was technically a very accomplished episode, as of course it would be, given that it was directed by Miguel Sapochnik, who has an incredible eye for orchestrating these large set pieces and a real skill at conveying the intensity of battle. So there were moments in this episode which reached, in terms of battle scenes, the intensity of the opening 20 minutes, 30 minutes of Saving Private Ryan, or even the entire the entire final act of Children of Men. There was a lot in this episode that was particularly reminiscent of those scenes in Children of Men as Clive Owen runs through crowds of refugees, all of whom are suffering in the midst of um, a almost post-apocalyptic hellhole. So um, hats off to Miguel Sapochnik for the technical achievement of this episode. He really has... I mean, if, if after his work on Game of Thrones, no one throws him a feature film to direct, that would be an absolute travesty. Uh, like Anager, though, I am increasingly... Well, I am concerned about the turn um, in Daenerys Targaryen. Uh, the, the internet has broken out in almost almost universal condemnation of the way that turn has been executed both last week and this week. Um, I don't think I would quite pitch it at the level of the internet's frenzied reaction to this episode, but I will say that, you know, Daenerys inflicting a massacre upon the people of King's Landing because her bestie was executed and her boyfriend seems to be more loved by the people of Westeros than she is, is not actually does not do justice to her character, um, and we can get into that um, as we discuss this a bit more. But that really struck me as a very false note in this episode, one which perhaps did not um, was not compensated for or was not overcome by just how thrilling the episode was as um, filmmaking. So I have qualms about the, the term, perhaps not as violent. Uh, a set of concerns as the internet has expressed already in the hours since this episode was broadcast. But I think it's fair to say that we will be debating this for a long time to come. 
And I think it's also fair to say, as others have already observed, that anyone who has named their daughter Khaleesi or Daenerys um, over the last six years must be feeling like a complete idiot right now. <laughs> yeah. Look, i, I got to say, I, I actively avoided... I mean, it's one of my guilty pleasures after every Game of Thrones episode now, where I'll avoid the internet, and then immediately after we podcast, I will go on and basically binge on memes. Um, so, um, I haven't been aware of the internet backlash yet, because I actively avoided Free Folk, <laughs> so that I wouldn't get spoiled. Um, yeah, so... We can, we can get to talking about Daenerys. I, I just wanted to add one last thing where um, I felt like this episode... I, I enjoyed this episode a lot also because I thought thematically there was there was a overarching theme that kind of bound everything together, which is kind of rare in TV shows. It's something you probably see more in feature films than TV shows. But I really enjoyed how this episode um, basically was thematically I felt a lot of it was about vengeance and the wages of vengeance (laughs) essentially right how vengeance can seem so right at a particular time but then when you look at the effects it actually has on you and I think it's a theme that's replicated in the character arcs of various characters Um, Danny Arya and the Hound Cersei Jamie, all this type of stuff all these sort of major characters that we have, um, we kind of see how thirst for vengeance and that desire um, <laughs> to get at your enemies basically results in just consequences that are <laughs> just beyond beyond imagination, basically, right? Um, mm. And I, 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 I actually, I really, really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed that. But um, let, let, let's 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 just get to Danny then, right? Let, let's just talk about Danny and whether we thought um, her transformation actually made sense or not. Um, I won't lie; I, I personally probably did not pick up on this as much, and I think probably that's driven by the fact that things it, over the last two seasons I've kind of been conditioned on Game of Thrones a little bit that things are moving very quickly, and. Um, in some ways, I, I guess the Danny character change has been... Like, for me, um, I felt like things happened very quickly this week, and there definitely was a snap, but I felt like it was a snap that had kind of been building up over a couple of seasons, where we had kind of already seen this part of her. And it's kind of when she's pushed to her lowest and most... Um, vulnerable that like I I kind of feel that like this is it it feels I didn't feel it was a false note because in some ways I felt it was very human because I like my sense of humanity is that we all have that capability for to for sort of vengeance and to give in to our anger and when that happens we kind of become fundamentally different people and you get so lost in it that you it takes something to kind of snap you out of it, right? And this week, basically, you kind of saw Danny go into that, but there was nothing that... There was no positive aspect that was able to snap her out of it, which is why 
by the end of it with all this com- all this stuff that kind of compounded on like you know death of her you know the death of her friend her thing feeling completely isolated in this new world you know the pressure of being a targaryen the pressure of her family legacy um the pressure of like this sense that she is meant to take over um this country and then you also have betrayal by various people and then finally like you know that she cannot like she doesn't even have anybody to turn to essentially and her one remaining friend Grey Worm also has just completely given in to vengeance and um, (laughs) like hatred essentially so um, in in my mind, while I felt like it was quick, I I, I did I, I didn't necessarily feel like it was unbelievable, right? Because I, I do see that sometimes people do dis, like sort of give in to their their worst natures very quickly, right? Even if they are sort of they they are fundamentally good people, there are times when people give in to their worst natures. I think what is probably a little bit um, unbelievable is that the extent that she goes to right it's not that she just burns a little bit and then she snaps out of it it's just like she just completely lets go um i think that's kind of where it does seem a little bit odd that she just goes on this continuous murder spree instead of losing it for a little bit and then kind of recollecting herself but um anyway that 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 was kind of where i felt what i thought about daenerys What, what did you guys think well, I was unconvinced by the arc simply because she has actually suffered more and more intensely in previous seasons of the show, particularly in season one when she loses her husband and the Dothraki abandoned her, she being the widow of a Carl, They have absolutely no use for her anymore. And she is still... She is broken to some extent, but then she de- she, she exhibits a degree of resilience afterwards particularly as she steps out of the out of what she thought would be um her 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 toasty death in the funeral pyre so she has withstood much more traumatic losses in her life than has been inflicted upon her in the last couple of episodes of the show and yet it is the death of her best friend the fact that Jon Snow is loved to a greater degree in Westeros than she is, that prompts her to destroy all of King's Landing and to massacre thousands, if not millions of people over the course of a single day. I just found that utterly unconvincing. And like I said, I don't share the same... I don't share the same feeling of betrayal that some fans of the show have felt on the internet and that some critics have expressed but I can certainly understand that impulse because it is so unlike the character we know. We know she's ruthless. We know she has a cruel streak, particularly as manifested in the execution of the Tali's last season. But this is a very, very sudden turn. I expressed concern last week that, you know, this might be all going a bit too quickly, that this is feeling a bit rushed. And I think the culmination of that occurred this week when, you know, despite Amelia Clark's very fine acting, wordless acting, in that one scene when she's sitting on Drogon 
listening to the bells toll, wondering what her next step will be. And there's a wonderful uh, facial performance on the part of mm-hmm. Emily Clark when um, you see patience, you see anticipation, and then a hard turn. It is um, acting, wordless acting, that calls to mind, for instance, uh, the very famous Italian restaurant scene in Godfather when um, Al Pacino crosses over to the dark side irrevocably. And so, you know, there's a great performance there, but, and, you know, the attempt to make the transition believable, at least on the part of Amelia Clark, is laudable, but the, the rapidity of it is, it just strains credulity. It is not a credible transition. And, because, and it rather suggests that Danny was all along a very brittle, if not very weak character, one who could be knocked completely off course, one whose moral values could be completely perverted by losses, which in the grand scheme of things, in the grand scheme of the of her experiences on the show, are not the greatest losses she's ever suffered. In fact, they are comparatively trivial, given her experiences of season one. So I, I just find that I just, I just think that in years to come, we'll we'll be debating this and you know, kind of scratching our heads and wondering if, had the showrunners been given more time or demanded more time, this might have been handled more elegantly and more credibly. So I um, live and breathe this show while it's on. Like literally, all the time, I am listening to some kind of podcast about mm. this show. And one of those podcasts, and unfortunately, I can't remember which one, makes a really, really excellent case for how these, um, this, this madness or this, this immorality has been part of her character from the beginning and kind of draws on lots of things that she's actually done from the beginning that indicate that she's not the all good kind of um, good hearted person or gentle hearted person that we have come to see her as being. But in all of those occasions, the framing of it was to make her glorious, to make her the victor, to make her triumphant, you know, um, to make, the ends justify the means and for us to be on her side. They just framed it that way. And now the framing has changed and they are framing her as the villain. And that maybe that is what is unsettling. Um, you know, the change in the framing along with the intensification of the villainy. Yeah, I, I have to say, like, I, 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 I definitely feel that if you look at her... So I, I would agree with... Um, Look, I haven't listened to this podcast that Anna's um, talking about, but I would agree that if you actually look back on Danny's past, she is not afraid of using um, ruthlessness and fear as a tool in her arsenal, right? So if you think about the crucifixion of all those, the slave masters on Yunkai, and I, I think the thing, yeah. like, that, I mean, that... If you think about it, that's a particularly horrific scene. But the way the show frames it, I think the show does frame it as quite horrific. But in some ways, people are willing to give her a pass. Like, back when she did that, I was not happy with her, right? And I personally was like, why are people not making more noises about this? But obviously, it's framed because they're apparently sort of sort of scumbaggy rich people and slave masters that are being crucified. So... Therefore, it's kind of like sort of she gets more of a pass for that. Um, 
Yeah, I, I definitely, I, I definitely feel like um, <laughs> she's she's done things in the like that crucifixion, and and there are other sort of actions that she's done in the past, including the burning of the tallies, etc., which kind of don't necessarily make this for me a hard left or like a, a hard turn away from her character, right? Um, I think this is just like one particularly bad day where she's just given in to her crueler impulses, crueler impulses that we've seen her fall to in the past as well. So in my mind, it's, it's not as incredible as, um, as Gerald suggests, I I guess like in the way I, I, I've, I've, I've seen her character anyway. Um, Mags, Anja, do you want to, do you guys want to, Mags, what did you think? Did you did you think that Danny was, it, like, were you did you believe that character change in her? Um, I'm not as uh, I haven't followed the show as vigilant as vigilantly as um I think the three of you have, and so for me, I think I'm less wedded to that idea of a strong arc or not. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it kind of just feels a bit like. I suppose um, Danny is kind of the show's Macbeth in that sense. You know, the the um, her ambitions got to a point now where no one is able to check her, and the death of her two dragons as well as her best friend, and the betrayal of of Varys, and then John kind of saying John the you know other contender for the throne for the throne with a better claim, um, rejecting her so to speak in her mind. Um, all kind of tipped her over the edge, I suppose, at a time where she feels like she's so close to, to find, you know, to finally getting the throne. Um, so I, like for me, I guess I'm not as, uh, it, it, it seemed reasonably convincing. Um, I also take Gerald's point though about, you know, they've only got one episode left to tie this all up in a neat little bow. So, and they they wasted the first two episodes with the slow pacing. So in some ways, they had to make up a lot of ground in this episode and the episode before. Um, and then the the final episode really is who was going to sit on the game on the throne. Mm. Um, so it's a little bit of rush um, in terms of plotting, but at the same time, I, I guess I I think it seemed reasonably paced. Manager, I, I I know that you. I'm I'm just gonna gonna say I I'm guessing that killing people who have surrendered is a war crime. I'm guessing I don't know <laughs> if it is or not. Um, so that I think is just a level beyond anything we've ever really seen. Um, and it has zero credible justification. So even if you take the eye for an eye approach, which might justify why you kill all the masters, or at least for some, um, that's she went well beyond that here and when she first started burning people i was shocked i would have understood if she had flown over to the red keep and just destroyed the red keep and cersei but when she started killing innocent people i couldn't believe it then i turned to gerald and said i think she's trying to wipe out half the population because you know she's lost half of her people so maybe that's what she's trying to do she wants to rule by fear and that's just the the arbitrary thing she's going to do as eye for an eye but no she destroyed the whole city 
the whole city. So it was, yeah. Did they have they really threaded that? No, I don't think they have. And I think they try to justify it or they try to set it up with, you know, John tells her he loves her. She looks at him and says, but, you know, do you love me in the same way I love you? And he pretty much says no. And then she says, well, then it will be fear. And so they set it up as because he didn't love her back the same way. That was the last, you know, the last thread snapped. And I don't like that very much. And I don't think that's credible at all. Yeah. It, it, it does. Yeah. This is going to sound harsh, but Daenerys' transformation in this season is somewhat reminiscent of Anakin Skywalker's turn in episode three. Um, <laughs> it's that unconvincing, in my view. I mean, Anakin Skywalker's turn, as seated in episode two, realized in episode three, is played and portrayed as a really bad case of teen angst uh, gone horribly wrong. And it, it, it utterly trivialized the character of, of Darth Vader to have him to have his backstory be told in that manner and to have his turn to the dark side be, be based on such a flimsy foundation. And in many ways, the foundation for this turn feels equally flimsy because it really is nothing more than I lost my dragon, I lost my bestie, and my boyfriend doesn't like me the way I like him, and he's really popular, and I kind of resent that. Now, add all those things up. And then you look at the body count this episode. I mean, this is, we're talking a Zack Snyder level body count in this episode. We're talking a body count that could rival the final 20 minutes of Man of Steel. <laughs> and you just take a step back and you think that is utterly ridiculous. Yeah. Um, so, okay. so whilst I, no, no, go, 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 Jerry. No, no. So whilst I admire, I, there's so much to admire in this episode. And as filmmaking, it is truly phenomenal. Um, mm. I just can't help but think that uh, that um, whilst we whilst we're going to be enjoying the show as spectacle as pure storytelling, the cracks are beginning to show and and, and show quite obviously. Yeah. See, uh, look, I, I I've got to say, I'm not, yeah, I I think it does take a bit of time for me to process these Game of Thrones episodes, and but my initial reaction. Honestly, I, I I did not think it was as incredible, and I, I think I felt like that the John thing, the John rejection. I don't think it was really. It was one thing that was added to it, but um, I think a few weeks ago we talked about how Danny's identity is so linked to her being on the throne, right? And um, I feel like. Like, this episode, you know, they start the episode and they say that she's basically hasn't been eating. She's been in her room for, like, seven days. And I think, like, my sense was that it's not really just John. It's actually this whole, like, her questioning her very identity and whether she belongs here or not and what she needs to do to basically get credibility in, in this place, right? Um, so I, I, I definitely... I, I guess the way I read this episode, I, I know that the John thing did contribute to it, but I, I don't necessarily feel like it was... the like I felt like there was a whole other set of things that I personally thought were credible, but, um, yeah, I can understand. But I can also understand that um, this perspective, that the level of devastation was just another level. And I guess the only way, like, I... I guess 
with Game of Thrones, I've always felt with Game of, Game of Thrones there are historical, like they take inspiration from historical events, right? Like George R. R. Martin has said that he's inspired by ancient and more recent history as well. And I guess the reality with um, sort of ancient warfare, medieval warfare, is that sackings of cities as a show of force to instill fear in the population are pretty much like not are not common but they're not so uncommon right like you you hear stories about how the mongols sack cities and it's like it's literally that level of devastation so like I, i guess i could understand why the show was leaning towards that because it was meant to show that sort of medieval approach to warfare where like i think we come at this as like well i mean it's a war crime it's a war crime because we live in the in this modern age where we have geneva conventions and that sort of thing right but for the most the better part of human history like the sacking of cities could potentially result in the death of pretty much every man woman and child um and there are historical figures that we probably put on the lighter side of the ledger than on the darker side of the ledger that have undertaken this sort of thing, right? Where they've sacked cities and there's nothing left standing, essentially. Um, So in that sense, like, that level of horror in in this episode, I didn't take it as like a Zack Snyder-esque wanton... Um, destruction, I took it more as it was meant to show that in these sorts of battles, if you decide that the gloves are completely off, this is actually what it looks like, right? When there's no stops and the aim of the battle is basically to sack this city to the ground and to instill fear in the populace, this is what it looks like. Um, and that, that's kind of where I came from, came at this episode. Can, can I- yeah. Can I also add, there's one weird note about this episode. We don't actually see Amelia Clark after the moment when she decides she's going to burn it all. Yeah. She is absent yeah. from the episode, so we don't get to see what's running through her mind, what, what she's feeling as all this is happening, which, which is a strange decision to make. I mean, so much rests... The entire fulcrum of the story is really Daenerys Targaryen at this point. The the turn is Daenerys's turn, and once she's made the turn, the show, or at least this episode, seems to lose interest in her. Now, th- it's understandable that you know there there are many focal points throughout the episode, and they want and the filmmakers and showrunners decided that they wanted to portray the absolute horror of what was happening on the street, which is fine. But I think the fact that we don't see her at all after she's made that particular turn also is a problem because she becomes less human she becomes less understandable she becomes far more remote and and so that that i think reinforces the problem with believing aspects of the transition because once it happens um we just she she becomes this sort of figure in the sky raining destruction down upon King's Landing and her inner life becomes something the show ceases to have a particular interest in at least for the for the sort of 60 minutes that this 55 60 minutes that the that the massacre lasts and I think that's that's that is also not doing 
either her or Emilia Clarke's performance any justice. Yeah, look, I, 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 I get that. I get that. Um, okay, so we've we've had a long chinwad about Danny. Let's let's move to some of the other characters um, because I mean there were a lot of great character moments this episode. Mm. What did we think about? Let, let's get Varys over and done with. Did we think Varys had a fitting end? <laughs> Uh, don't really care about Varys, right? I mean, <laughs> he's an idiot. Like, why would you so openly... He's the master of whispers, right? Whispers, not master of shouting treason at the top of your voice to anyone and everyone who'll listen. Like, he explicitly spoke treason to the hand of the queen and then to the boyfriend of the queen. So... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I felt like Varys had to die. They needed to get rid of him, so... Mm. They made him make some mistakes, and that was it, right? <laughs> mm. um, yeah. Uh, let's talk about Tyrion then. Um, how did we think? What What did we think about Tyrion this episode, where he is loyal to Daenerys, but actually betrays her by mm. letting his brother out? Um, in what I thought was, I, I enjoyed that scene a lot, but I think Tyrion is dead as a result. Right, I think given what is happening with Daenerys and given the warning that she gave him, I think he's gone. But um, I thought it was a great scene with his brother. I, I, I thought it was... It showed the conflict within his character of loyalty to his family and loyalty to the realm and to a monarch. Um, yeah, I, I, I gotta say, I, I've been enjoying... Even though Tyrion is no longer a particularly smart character, I... I'm enjoying his character more in the last two episodes than I have for quite a few seasons now. Um, Jerry, Anja, Mags, do you guys have any thoughts on Tyrion this episode? Yeah, I think in the last, I think in the last two episodes, Diglidge has done his best work on the show for years, hmm. um, and certainly in the scene between him and Nikolai Costa-Waldo, as the two of them play um, the final encounter between Tyrion and Jaime, that was a particularly that was a moving scene, even though. Even though I spent a lot of it, you know, shouting at the TV saying, Tyrion, you are the dumbest character, not named Jon Snow. Um, yeah. I, 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 the same, I did, I did sort of, symp- I did empathize greatly with, with Tyrion and with the, um, with his desire to save his brother as his brother saved him. Um, and, but, you know, the notion of Jamie and Cersei, rowing out to Pentos and living out the rest of their lives as mere civilians was so utterly fantastical um, and so stupid that it momentarily took me out of the show that, that Tyrion could have possibly dreamt up that, that scheme. So I, I know we're meant to take from it that Tyrion loves his brother so much that he would risk something extremely stupid um, to act on that love, but it was still um, yet another unbelievably dumb thing um, for Tyrion to have thought up. So, you know, I think the the consequences will be grim for him in the next episode. Uh, But, you know, at the very least, though, um, Dinklage was able to flex his dramatic muscles Mm. in a way that he hasn't been able to do for quite a while. Mm. Do we think that Tyrion is 
not long for this world. I, I think he's done next episode, but... I mean, it is the last episode, next episode, but do we think he's going <laughs> to be executed? <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I, yeah. he's either going to be executed or he's going to be sitting on the Iron Throne. <laughs> really? You think he's going to sit on the Iron Throne? No, I think it's more likely that he will be executed, but I just don't understand why he's still standing, because like, clearly they would have noticed that the prisoner was missing by the morning of yeah, the yeah, battle. Yeah, so, that's true. That's I mean, true. if he's survived all this, then I don't know, maybe maybe <laughs> he'll survive them all. Yeah. Um, I did think it was very consistent with his character, though, because to, to free Jamie, because Jamie is the person that he loves more than anyone in this world, and he knows that Jamie isn't going to leave Cersei, so to save Jamie, he had to try to save them both. And to be fair to Tyrion... In the world of this show, that plan very nearly worked. Mm, mm, mm. That's true. That's true. Like, Jamie, they were just one rock collapse away from mm. getting away. So, yeah, yeah. Mm. From retirement. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of someone who doesn't get to retire, what did we think about um, Clegane Bowl? And all the <laughs> events leading up to Clegane Mall. So, uh, why don't I, I start, right? I thought I really enjoyed the way Arya and the Hound parted because I felt like, thematically, this episode was about vengeance and the Hound having that chat with Arya, talking to her about, if you persist with this course that you have chosen, it is not going to end well for for you, Right? And I felt, yeah, so I, I, I thought that was a great scene. I thought they had a great ending. And it obviously set up some incredible scenes for Arya that we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, but subsequently, the Hound <laughs> makes his goodbyes, walks his way up the stairs, kills basically three out of the seven Queen's Guard that are left single-handedly, and then gets into like well I mean before Clegane Bowl even starts Kyburn just cops it right like the mountain kills Kyburn in two seconds which is <laughs> can odd. I just say <laughs> yeah I loved that I love the way Kyburn died it was so funny I really? just laughed my heart I just thought it was hilarious <laughs> I just thought him picking Kyburn up and chucking him and uh, Kyburn just uh, sort of uh, dying like that was brilliant. I just, I just thought that was one of that was probably the the lightest moment of the entire episode. Well, I, I, really, I thought that was horrifying, but at the same time, I felt that it was the end, right? So I guess Kyburn has to die too. So let's kill him off as quickly <laughs> as we possibly can. Um, yeah, well, what did we think about the setup for Clegane Bowl? Like, did, did we do we think it was satisfying? I, I did. I, I enjoyed it a lot. It looked like a video game for me, the way that they staged it. Like, you could pretend to be either the Hound or his brother, and, you know, you've got these fire and brimstone literally falling from the sky, and there's the Hound finding, fighting a, like a, like a, um, oh my god, a zombie. Like, that was, and then the fact that, and then the way that they ended with them shanking each other in the face, like... And then they had to throw, they threw each other off the building. Like, yeah, there was no way he could end other than that. 
Yeah. <laughs> and I love that ending. I thought it was great because it was basically about two brothers who hated each other. And basically, the outcome of that level of hatred and vengeance is just mutually assured destruction. Everything yeah. ends in fire and death, right? And they got exactly what was coming to them. And it was a brutal fight. It's so, like... <laughs> It was brutal, right? Like, when the the mountain is trying to pull a Oberyn Martell on the hound's face, I was like, what the hell is going on here? Um, yeah. Did you guys... So, the hound... No, I didn't like it. The The hound is one of my favourite characters, but I have not been one of these people that's been looking forward to Clegainefall. The only good thing about Clegainefall for me has been that if Clegainefall hasn't happened yet, then they can't kill off the hound. Um, I, I don't understand it. Like, he has in the past left King's Landing because things were going to crap and he wasn't going to go down with them all. He wasn't motivated by trying to find his brother and killing him then. You know, his brother is not even human anymore. He's a zombie. And so I also don't understand that killing Sandor was so highly motivating for Gregor that he was going to abandon other way, his maker. Other way around, darling. Other way around, killing Gregor. Motivating for Sandor. No, 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 no. Gregor is now a zombie. So I do not understand how killing Sandor is so much of a motivator for Gregor that he is going to ignore his maker, Kyburn, not just ignore him, but crush Kyburn, and ignore his queen, whom he has been, like like an automaton, faithfully serving, the automaton zombie that he is, faithfully serving up till now. It's really hard for me to believe that some brotherly hatred survived in that zombie body and is so powerful that... You know, it's overcome all of this. Because, to be honest, I don't think Gregor really had that much hatred for Sandor, at least not any more than he's had for the rest of humankind. You know, he just kind of treated Sandor like a pesky fly that he would do whatever he wanted with. Um, so I don't get the motive you know, motivation on both sides. And I would have thought that the Hound, who's been through such a journey, he even found God at one point, you know, and yes, those people were murdered, but then he found the Brotherhood and he found a purpose and he found Arya and, you know, he fought he fought for all of humankind. Um, he saved Arya. He overcame his fear of fire to save Arya. Um He's been through such a journey, and I just, you know, in the same way that he looked at Arya and said, "If you do this, your life will be a waste. You will, ha- you will die. You will end up like me. Don't do this." You know, he, he, the care and the love he has for her that was fantastic. But I'm just so disappointed that he himself didn't show that growth and threw his life away just to go kill Gregor. And it doesn't make sense to me. I I would agree with you, Anna Jo. I agree that. The setup for this is incredibly flimsy, but mm. it's what the fans the wanted. Fans wanted <laughs> the fans <laughs> wanted the game ball, so the fans got the game ball. Exactly. I, this I would only have agree. made sense to me if if he was doing it to save someone he cared about, not just for the sake of taking him down. Yeah, and this so there's would... so many different scenes though that we've seen throughout the last five episodes, which are all fan service. So yes, I mm. kind yes. of feel like they kind of went through while they were developing this season and, and went, okay, what what have people been clamouring for? We've got to weave mm. it in somehow, so... Yes, you know, Gendry and Arya, tick, right? Like, um, Clegane, mm. well, tick, that sort of thing, right? John riding a dragon, tick. Um, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Look, I, I look. You know, when you when you put it that way, right? Intellectually, it makes no sense, right? Like, why mm-hmm. would this guy come back to this city where there's fire and he doesn't like it just to go fight his brother? Like, it's it, it absolutely doesn't make sense. But from a spectacle perspective, I thought it was pretty cool. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 The spectacle was cool. I'm completely with Anager in relation to um, how this this is a this does the character of Sandor Clegane a great disservice. Um, Rory McCann has been one of the great cast members of this show. And the the way he delivers every single line that the Hound has to utter is just brilliant. His line readings are among the best of any actor on the show. And yes, sure, he gets he gets the the lion's share of the most foul mouthed lines in the show, and it must be so much fun to play him. But he does it well, and he does it with relish. And um, his performance and his rendering of the character deserved an exit more worthy of um, the performance than what we eventually got. As spectacle, sure, it was impressive. Um, there was an odd editing choice because um, Sopochnik decided to cut between the fight between the Cleganes and Aya Stark being trampled by a, cl- a crowd which seemed to suggest that both the Hound and Aya were going to die um, at least momentarily, it seemed as if that might be on the cards. I don't know why that was done. There wasn't any real parallel between the two characters or the two experiences, so that editing choice felt weird to me, and it, 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 it was perhaps an attempt at giving more meaning to the fight between the Cleganes that it actually bore, because ultimately, for the reasons we've all discussed, it really was a hollow and quite meaningless encounter between the two brothers. We don't learn... I mean... The, the the farewell between Sandor Clegane and Aya Stark says everything that the show has to say about the holiness of vengeance mm. better than even the story of Daenerys Targaryen does. In fact, much better than the story of Daenerys Targaryen does. Um, and it is it is one of the sort of high moments of this episode, a moment of insight and reflection on the part of both those characters, particularly on the part of Aya Stark, whose mission for over the last couple of seasons has been to execute all these people on her list, not least of whom is Cersei Lannister. But she turns her back on it, knowing full well that if she tracks down that, if she continues down that path, she'll just be uh, a completely hollow shell of a human being. Um, and so one of the one of the threads running through the season has been Aya reconnecting with her humanity. And in this particular moment, that is probably the apogee, the high point of her attempts at reconnecting with her humanity, when she decides, look, there's more to life than taking out those who've wronged me in the past. Um, and and to give that sort of mission and ending to Sandor Clegane um, does feel like a bit of a... does feel cheap. And, and when it's intercut with Aya trying to get out of the Red Keep, it seems all the more cheap, I think. What do we think about the scenes with Arya? I, I I thought they were like I mean they needed that on the ground view essentially right and the moment John left Arya became the on the ground view so um, yeah in in some ways like I, I thought it it really like her character moments with the Hound were great and then basically she was a vehicle for 
cinematography <laughs> after that, which mm. I thought was great, right? Like, I mean, visually, it was amazing. There's a scene when she gets knocked out and she wakes up and she's covered in ash, just like stumbling around. And yeah, I thought visually it was great. Um, I also thought it was really interesting how they ended the episode with her um, finding the white mare that was covered in blood. Um, obviously symbolic, I guess, of um, potentially Danny, I want to say, right? Because she was given the... Wasn't Danny given a white mare by Cal Drogo? Mm. And so you see this sort of white mare in this city. Like, I mean, it's it feels quite like... Like symbolic. It's bizarre. It's bizarre, but I think it was meant to be like symbolic of like this white mare that is covered in ash and blood now, right? Like, you know, this purity mm. that's kind of been stained by like this this conflict that's raged on around them. Um, so yeah, I thought that, that was an interesting choice, and like I thought it was visually quite striking. Yeah. Um, mm. Yeah. What, do we? What what else do we think about the whole the Arya thing this episode? Well, uh, for me, it was um, what as she's riding away. I thought that was a, a a really striking and symbolic ending. Totally agree with you about that as well, Darren. Um, I suppose for me is what's next for her because she's been driven so much by, as you say, that need for vengeance, um, making her way down the list of people to kill. So for her, it's almost like, well, what, what, what is the meaning in her life now? Mm. Um, and knowing what she knows about um, Daenerys and the, the dragon and what she knows about Jon, um, is she going to be integral to um, the claim on the throne, a competing claim on the throne? Yeah. I think that's going to be quite interesting. And is she then, is she going to be one of those, um, one of the important links to bring Sansa back into the picture as well. Yeah, well, I'm almost wondering if she's going to be the one that murders Daenerys. But um, yes, she is. That too. Uh, Jerry, sorry. Yeah, she, I think I think the show is kind of setting that up, and yeah. I also I also suspect that in the final episode, Daenerys, having wiped out King's Landing, uh, decides that she is going to try and rid herself of the of that pesky Sansa Stark and march on the north. Really? Okay. Yeah, I think I just, you're right. I just think the show, having begun in Winterfell, would want to conclude at Winterfell for the for the cyclical for the symmetry, uh, if 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 for no other reason. And I think um, that the plot mechanic required to do that is Daenerys deciding to march on the north. Uh, and um, yes, and I think uh, will Arya will at least make a very very concerted effort at killing Daenerys if not actually a successful effort at killing Daenerys who knows she might even wear Jon Snow's face for that purpose um, <laughs> you, you know I, he I has to die su- in order for her to take his face yeah but I, I wouldn't be surprised if Daenerys executed Jon Snow really wow well okay. then she can't wear his face can she because Daenerys will know <laughs> um, look I think you're right Gerald like when when the when we were watching Arya walk through the rubble and walk through the wreckage I thought they're setting it up for her to kill Daenerys but I now I actually don't think that that is what's going to happen I think that Gerald is absolutely right that she's riding back to Winterfell um I think that's a brilliant guess that 
Danny will turn on to Winterfell because it really sets up a definite, like, Jon Snow, you have to choose now. Like, you cannot be sitting on your, and we need to talk about Jon, but you, you just, you need to make a choice because this is now your family and your home versus your queen. So I think they are going to set that up. Um, but I think in the end, this is the last episode. This has to be, it's got to be Jon. Like, if John does not put an end to this, then what on earth was the point of Jon Snow? Why is he back from the dead? Like, what? <laughs> Should we talk about Jon Snow? Yeah. We need to talk about Jon. Yeah, let's just talk about his, like, just decision-making. Still still gone, yeah, decision-making gone awry, right? Like, uh. <laughs> You know I've been a huge fan of Jon Snow, a big supporter of Jon, absolutely obsessed. Gerald has said to me that I have not been this in love with a fictional character since Ben from Felicity, and he's absolutely right. But even now, after this episode, I was like, no, no, my love for Jon is going to die if he doesn't do something. Like, I am so disappointed in him already. Like, take a stand, Jon. Like, you just... You just cannot sit by and watch this kind of crap happen. Even Varys has tried to take a stand, even if he did it in a very poor way. Um, come on, right? Like, it's disappointing. It's frustrating. You cannot be brave and good if you sit by and watch evil happen. We all know that. So, you know, at this point, he's either going to lose me completely. He's kind of already lost me, to be honest, because he has sat by and watched all of this happen in a way and i want to say he didn't know she was going to do that but but he didn't know i mean to be fair he really yeah. didn't know like i thought one of the he best... knows nothing well <laughs> I, I did feel that like one of the best parts of this episode is the lull when the bells they're waiting for the bells to start mm. ringing, right and there's the standoff oh, good. Scene. yeah that was yeah the standoff between oh. the lannisters and the northmen right and they're waiting for the bell to start ringing and then the bells start ringing, and everybody is like, oh, it's over, right? And then, like, she starts burning a little bit, and then Grey Worm picks up the spear and throws it, and it's basically, so like, good. immediately it changes into Massacre, right? Like, for me, oh. that was a great scene, because, like, that was, like, the epitome of, like, medieval battle to me, right? Where it just hinges on this sort of dime, and, like, if it di- if it falls one way, it just becomes, like, pillage and murder and massacre, mm. right? It's, you know how, like, Bronn, Bronn says this um, line very early, I think it was, like, the first or second season, where it's kind of like, this is just what happens when, like, cities get sacked. You know, men get their blood up and they just lose all sense of control. And, like... Yeah, I, I really kind of enjoyed that, right? So mm. I do kind of give John a pass for true. Because true. and what he, is it? he? He does now need to take a, de- a decisive stand now, though. If he doesn't now, then that's his morality in tatters. Yeah, well, I mean, he does make a stand. I mean, he kills one of his own soldiers, right? Because mm. one of his sol- own soldiers is about to rape somebody, and mm. he's like, "I, you know, you, you have to stop this, right?" And he, he kills him for it. So. Mm. Um, and then he basically understands that the only way to keep things under control yeah. is to just get all of his guys to retreat. When I mean, he does call the retreat, to be fair. So, mm. um, like, but look, I mean, the scene, <laughs> the scene that 
kind of made me kind of go, what are you doing? Is like Daenerys is clearly asking for some sort of affection and to like basically, <laughs> you know, she's in a tough spot, right? <laughs> well, you kiss your aunt, Daenerys. <laughs> Well, Amelia just close it. Home. My aunt doesn't look Amelia like Amelia Clark, right? Kiss your aunt. Kiss your aunt. Yeah. Guys, are you saying that if your aunt did look like Amelia Clark, you'd be, you'd be on like Doctor Who? I'm not saying. Look, if the realms were at stake as they were, maybe I would. <laughs> you, you, my friend, are a very sick puppy. Um, <laughs> It's Look, true. Like, but, it's true. And this is another thing about John. Like, he, what is he doing? He could have just given is, her that comfort. He could have. <laughs> for for much of this show's run, John has been a complete gnome. He's been a complete utter fool. He did not win the Battle of the Bastards. Sansa Stark did. So were it not for Sansa Stark, the, the North would have been lost to Ramsay Bolton for all time. Um he was completely and utterly useless during the Battle of Winterfell. He uh, he uh, he he tried to stalk the uh, the Night King on on foot, but um, but nothing happened. And his his last ditch his last ditch attempt to try and save to salvage something was to stand up and shout at Viserion. Well done, Jon Snow. And um, and now he's I don't know. He's just been so utterly useless and. And we're meant to believe that someone as smart as Varys sees in him a possible great ruler of Westeros. That that I just do not get. Well, that do, I absolutely do, do not, not feel get. like that Varys thinks that he's going to be a amenable and good-natured puppet. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> yes. So Varys, Varys attempted coup, and we'll be we'll be showing our Australian origins here. If not purely through our accents, but certainly through this through this reference, Varys's coup was the dumbest coup I've seen, attempted coup I've seen since Simon Crean uh, tried to launch a leadership coup against Julia Gillard in the process, blew himself up, and Ken Rudd did not take the bait and did not actually issue a challenge. It was that dumb of an attempted coup, um, and so to see all these supposedly smart or great characters be reduced to uh, caricatures of idiocy um, is a bit frustrating, uh, and I think in the form of Jon Snow, it's particularly that frustration is particularly salient. Mm. Just because he's he's been he's been portrayed as the ostensible hero of the show, he and Daenerys have gone through the last couple of seasons being the ostensible heroes of the show. Um, now, the fact that Daenerys has taken a turn for the the dark side, well, that's that's fine. I mean, it's it's been clumsily executed, but um, we can we can I can certainly understand what the showrunners were aiming for. However, John, despite the hero framing, uh, has has shown himself so often to be incompetent and useless. It, it is actually now becoming quite hard to root for him to succeed, um, mm. and and so you know. If he does, if he is forced to choose between Daenerys and the defense of Winterfell, um, you know, part of me will be thinking, well, that's that's it for Winterfell. They're gone. I mean, <laughs> sure, because if, if Jon Snow is your last line of defense, uh, you might as well just you might as well just give up uh, because he's not going to save you. He's that he's just not he's just not smart enough. And so, um, 
I think ultimately the fate of the kingdom, as it did two episodes ago, will likely rest with Arya Stark, not Jon Snow. <laughs> to assassinate. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I imagine what will happen is that Jon will try and shout at Drogon as a way of... <laughs> and then Arya will shoot Daddy and that'll be it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, while Jon is busy distracting Drogon by shouting at him, uh, Arya Stark will speak up <laughs> and shank <laughs> Daenerys. <laughs> That, that sounds so dumb. <laughs> that, that, that is how that is how John that is how John realizes uh, the the promise of being the prince that was promised was by, by shouting. By shouting it. <laughs> you know, I I gotta say I quite like this idea of them marching on Winterfell. My original theory was actually that like, because um, I keep thinking back to that vision that Danny has um, when she's stuck in the warlocks. Mm. house, right? And the vision ends in the throne room, right? The vision Mm. ends with what looks like snow, but we now know is ash in the throne room. And then in that, in that scene, she hears the baby crying or something like that. And she re-sees, she sees the red door from her childhood. And so she goes there, opens the door and Drogo and her child are there, right? And my sense was that that scene of her being reunited being reunited with Drogo and her child is actually her death. So yeah. I thought that she would get shanked, that Arya was going to shank her in the in the throne room. Just as she's about to get the throne, Arya's going to shank her in the throne room. So I don't know, though, but I wonder if Jon is going to be the distraction and Arya, they're going to, like, stuck double-team her. Anyway... <laughs> Just, I just think it has to be John. He's got to show up and actually do something useful. Stand there and be a distraction. I think it has to be related to the North because he's got to be forced mm. to make that choice. And also, the way that Tormund bade farewell to him in the last episode mm. um, seems to suggest that John is destined to return to the North somehow. Mm-hmm. Well, but the thing is, okay, okay, so if he returns to... So do you think he'll end up on the throne, though? No. Uh, no. I don't think so. But then the question is, who is left? Literally, this Tyrion. No... It could be Tyrion. Sansa. But, but t- S- Sansa and Tyrion have no claim. What's their legitimacy? The throne, the throne has been destroyed, right? Like, there's no way the throne survived Drogon's destruction of the Red Keep. I think the throne has been destroyed physically, if not symbolically. symbolically. So I think mm-hmm. by a show then, there will be no Iron Throne to sit on. Mm. The seven will splinter. Um, mm-hmm. John will be... John, if he's alive, will be restored. Not to the King of the North. I imagine he might just say... He might, having defended Winterfell, just think, well, this was just too much. I am... This is... I want to retire now to where my heart really belongs, and he'll sort of march past the wall into some sort of bittersweet retirement, um, and uh, and, and Sansa will rule Winterfell, and King's Landing is basically Hiroshima, right? So yeah. I, I just <gasps> I just don't see Guys. how there is. Um, what is? What is? 
the only way to defeat Danny and Drogon is for Bran to stick <laughs> Dragonglass through the heart of Jon Snow, turning him into the new Night King. <laughs> okay, no, no, no. <laughs> Well, maybe then Brad would do something instead of just sit in the wheelchair and do nothing and speak in, like, puzzles. What happens is, so John kills Daenerys after he's become the new Night King, and right after that, Aya turns up from nowhere and kills John. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's amazing writer's room stuff right here. <laughs> oh, God. You heard it first, everybody. You heard it <laughs> Well, so Jess, that, is, that is no dumber than what has happened already in but, part of this. Scene. But you ge- genuinely believe, like, I don't know how I'd feel if the end of this series was that the realm was basically just in anarchy. So it's like warring states, period, right? Where, like, I mean, we all know this, right? When there's no legitimate heir to the throne, like chaos ensues because well, there are separate heirs. Sansa will be queen of the North. Um, there's already a Prince of Dawn, apparently, whoever he is. Sansa's um, <laughs> cousin is King of the Airy, so, and they all kind of get along with each other. So, you so, know, a tenuous piece. And Yara, Yara runs the Iron Islands. Um, okay. On the topic of which, can we just note that how, how good is it that Euron is now no longer on the show, given just how annoying he's been? Um, and the fact that he's just died this stupid death was kind yeah. of fitting. He's such a turd of a character. Yeah, and he um, he didn't even really kill Jamie because Jamie was yeah. actually killed by a rockfall, not by. So let's let's. What, what a... No, no, go. Yeah, I mean, I just think you know, sort of. Pilo Asbeck is a fine actor. He did exceptional work on this Danish TV show called Borgen a few years ago. Um, but his Euron Greyjoy has always been. Just a bit of a – he's something worse than a cartoon villain. He's just this – he's just a high school jerk. And um, and so there was nothing to him. He was such an insubstantial character, such an insubstantial um, adversary for the ostensible heroes of the show. And the way he went out there was completely and utterly fitting. I should note that um, – he seems to be a lot worse at, you know, he seemed to be the only guy in the entire kingdom who could fire a scorpion accurately, and the fact that he wasn't sitting in one and operating one is completely and utterly perplexing to me, given his success last week. Not only that, but given how easily uh, Drogon destroyed all the scorpions this episode, why, why didn't he do that last episode? Like, What's going on there? Agreed. Um, I mean, I guess the only explanation is that they got him with a sneak attack. They got Rhaegar mm. with a sneak attack, right? But yeah, basically... But, got... <laughs> but, but but Drogon was there. Drogon could have easily cooked all, all the ships of them. Yeah, why did they wait? Why couldn't she just have gone around and cooked them all immediately? I shock and panic, right? She wasn't willing to risk it at that point. Yeah. Well, I mean, they had a whole city worth of scorpions... And they did not. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was mm-hmm. weird. It, it was weird how in one episode the scorpions were the best thing ever, and the next episode they were just completely and utterly useless, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. um yeah. So again, that's probably this is, this is probably a function of just like, you know, sort of the, the show run 
deciding, you know, plot mechanics require Rhaegal to go down. Oh, hold on, we'll have a, we'll have the scorpions, uh, we'll have the scorpion shoot him down, and we'll have Euron operating it just to give Euron a bit more gravitas as an enemy. But you know, all that, the, none of that, none of that was convincing, and it, 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 it was exposed for the kind of flimflam um, sham that it was this episode. When in a space of about two minutes, uh, Drogon cooked the entire Iron Fleet, destroyed all the Scorpions in King's Landing, um, and ha- and reduced uh, Cersei Lannister's plans to complete Ash. Mm. Also, um, Cersei and Jaime, I think, deserved better, better, better final episodes than this. Cersei was completely and utterly useless this episode. Lena Headey, such a good actress, probably the MVP of the show for so long, and. Uh, she had barely any lines in this episode. Um, she still made an impact because her smirk uh, get becomes uh, this river of tears in a, in, a, in a short series of scenes. And so she conveys so much um, doing so little. Uh, but the fact that she and Jamie went out like a couple of punks uh, really, I don't think, um, did them. Uh, any justice? I mean, that was that was really a sort of almost Euron Greyjoy style trivial death, and, um, and it's just a shame that they went out that way. Mm-hmm. Andrew, Mags, did you what did you think of Cersei and Jamie? Mags, um, I mean, I quite like that um, they reunited Jamie with Cersei in the sort of final moment. That seemed kind of apt, I suppose, because. Um, you know, one of the pivotal scenes that this, the whole show starts on is Jamie and Cersei, you know, um, up in the tower and then uh, Jamie pushes Bran off um, the, the tower at Winterfell. So it kind of had to end with the two of them together and, you know, him sort of saying to her, um, it, it's just the two of us or something like the only the two of us matter or something like that. That seemed quite fitting to me. Um I mean, the fact that Cersei was reduced to a kind of quivering, crying bundle at the end, sort of pleading for her life, seemed uh, seemed to go against, I think, um, the nature of her character that they've built over time. It's kind of hard, um, um, bitter, um, very, very um, ruthless individual. Um, I, I would have liked it if she hadn't been a kind of quivering, crying mess at the end. Um, but I didn't have a, I didn't have a problem with her sort of dying in the crypt, trying to find her way out. That seemed like she'd try every, every option to survive. And um, you know, but yeah, I didn't have an issue with that. Andrew? Yeah, I thought it was quite moving. I thought, I thought it was quite moving. Um, I think you know. At the end of the day, Jamie has always loved her, will always love her. Made sense that he, I guess, he went back to her. I thought he was going back to kill her, but, you know, <laughs> on better affection, I, I get it. You know, he loves her, um, for better or for worse. Now, Cersei, on the other hand, I'm not sure has ever really loved Jamie, And I think that came out in these final moments as well, where she's worried about her unborn child and she does not want that child to die and so she doesn't want to die and Jamie is trying to focus her on him trying to focus her on this idea that they are the only two that matter and they will always be kind of together in life or death Um, and she allows that comfort to just 
wash over her for a few seconds and she closes her eyes and then it happens. But I don't think she ever really loved him in the way he loved her. But I think this was very faithful to him. You know, he he was always going to be there for her and he was able to do that. And it was really moving, I thought. And to be honest, um, I don't think anyone else could have been there with them in the end. I think they had to go out together with no one else there because, like, you couldn't have Daenerys taking her out. Those two have never – well, they have met each other, but they really don't know each other. Um, it could have been Arya, but then you'd have all of the internet people, like, upset that, you know, Arya has too many kills. <laughs> <sighs> I roll. Um, you know, who really could it have been? So – um, yeah, it made sense that it was just Jamie and Cersei together at the end. Yeah, I gotta say, I, I probably lean more on. Well, I, I agree with Anager and Mags in that I thought it was a fitting ending for Jamie and Cersei. Like their their time was up. Um, I, I thought it was quite moving as well, right? Like I, I I thought that Jamie as a character, for all his growth, he still loves Cersei. It's something that he can't change about himself, right? And I thought this idea of, you know, they they tried desperately to survive, and Jamie, to be honest, is was showed supernatural constitution to, like, survive being shanked multiple times by Euron Greyjoy. Um, so that was pretty impressive, <laughs> how he managed mm-hmm. to survive that long. But then, in the end, you know, where basically he is trying to comfort her, and like basically they both well he has accepted that it's it's over right but it's okay because they're together in the end yeah i agree i thought that was quite moving um yeah i thought that like i think yeah like how else was cersei really going to go out i agree if Arya had shanked her it probably would have been a little bit on the nose um and it wouldn't have worked either because Arya literally had just gone through a character arc where she would be convinced that vengeance wouldn't be her sole motivator mm. in life, right? So it absolutely mm. wouldn't have worked. So in some ways it made... It was it was a more fitting scene to have her and Jamie share this moment and then have the world literally crumble around them, right? So, yeah, I, I thought that was, that, was, that was nice. I can't wait for Arya now to go back to Gendry get married, Gendry gets killed, Arya adopts a dog, and then we have the plot of John Wick, basically. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, now, it now makes sense why Arya never said goodbye to Sansa, because I know some people were upset that why do we not see a scene between Arya and Sansa with Arya leaving Winterfell, supposedly never to return. But I think with Gerald's theory that it's going to be Winterfell versus Daenerys, it makes sense why we never got that scene, because she's going to go back to Sansa, and it's going to be the two of them, and hopefully John and Bran against Danny and her dragon and her army. Mm, yeah. You know, it just occurred to me as I made that bad John Wick reference that Arya's story also begins with the death of a dog. Oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yes, yes. John Wick in medieval <laughs> times. <laughs> um, except, that, except that John Wick is probably a deeper and more profound inspiration <laughs> of the politics of revenge. Than, uh, than this show is. Well, John Wick is a modern-day masterpiece. No one's going to argue with you on that one. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, is there anything else we want to talk about 
in relation to this episode. Can I just very quickly ask what you guys thought about that very chilling look that Grey Worm gave John when he saw John hesitate and not want to kill people? I thought Grey Worm was going to freaking kill John in that moment. Um, he's obviously going to tell Daenerys that John cannot be trusted anymore. So John's life, yeah, I don't yeah. know. Did you... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think Grey Worm, uh, Missandei's death is basically just pushing yeah. him over, right? Like, yeah. he's, he's got nothing yeah. left to live for. He, he's, <laughs> yeah, he's just, he's lost it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I, I think Grey Worm, Grey Worm is firmly against John at this point in time. So it sets things up for this conflict between them, obviously, for the next episode. So, so in a sense, Missandei was the most important character in the entire show because her death <laughs> triggers so many important turns in, in the story. Yeah. Um, who would have thought? Who would have thought? I'm sure I'm sure, I'm sure. sure when Natalie Emmanuel was first signed up to play the Sunday that uh, it would never have occurred to her that uh, she, plays a, she plays an even more pivotal role in this story than she does in Fast and Furious 7. But... Um, <laughs> There you go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, both films about family. Well, family, right? <laughs> so, um, okay. Is there anything else we want to talk about in relation to this episode? No. I think we're good. I think we're good. Looking forward to next week. Yep, last episode. So, yeah, looking forward. We'll see if um, Daenerys marches on the north. We'll see if Arya picks up Jon's face to shiver. <laughs> Lots of unanswered questions still, but yeah. I, I am looking forward to the absolute storm of internet hatred that will uh, that will befall this show uh, around this time next week. Because one way or the other, I just imagine a whole phalanx of fans is going to be left unsatisfied, and the internet vitriol will be something. Qu- quite special to behold. Do you know what, you know, this is really interesting, right? This, the reaction of the internet is actually quite interesting because um, I generally, look, I absolutely feel that the internet overreacts, but I also feel like the internet is actually a good barometer of whether things actually stuck properly, right? And you think about the Avengers ending, right? And how generally I don't think there's been that much vitriol over that. Right, but there's mm. been so much over Game of Thrones, and that says that not. And look, mm. I, I know that we had this a little bit of a sort of discussion about whether Daenerys was credible or not. But the reality is that not all of those story element storytelling elements are 100% aligned. There, right? I, I'm happy to admit that, and so. I feel like the internet absolutely blows things out of proportion, but typically there is a granule of truth within that sort of outrage mob mm-hmm. mentality, right? So, yeah. Um, but look, I agree. I, I actually think that at this point in time, literally nothing will save this save this TV series from just general internet outrage. It's it's just it's like the massacre, right? Once it starts it basically can't be stopped. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I'm not sure I'm not sure we're gonna see lost style levels of outrage or or even worse, how I met your mother levels of outrage. But um but uh, folks strap in, be prepared for uh, for a, a healthy dose of um of internet hatred next yeah. week. Yeah. 
I definitely don't believe it deserves lost levels of outrage, but... No, I think yeah. we will like it as a yeah. group. Yeah. We will. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Famous last words, Adager. We'll see what you think of the episode next week. <laughs> Sounds good. Okay. Thanks, guys. We'll see you guys next week. Bye. Okay. Bye. Bye.